Welcome to the Rock Creek Family Church Podcast. I'm Pastor Jonathan, and thank you so much for joining us today. We know that uh, there's so many other things going on, so many other things you could be listening to right now, but you have decided to listen to what God has in store for you on this podcast. So we just pray and ask that God would bless you in this sermon Thank you again for joining us. Don't forget, you are part of the Rock Creek Family Church family. So good to be here with you today. I'm going to, I have a ton of content that I want to give you today. So I just want to settle into that. Um, We're talking about a subject I really could get hyped up about. I mean, really. And I would have a tendency to get emotional with that, and that's okay. I think God gives us emotions, and I think with those emotions, He's given it to us to praise Him and honor Him with that, and there's nothing wrong with that, but today, I really want you to get the content of the Word of God, and I want to let the Word of God speak for itself in a lot of ways today. We, when we talk about the Holy Spirit, a lot of times we talk about something that can be, and it can be presented very mysteriously. Um, that's not the mystery of the gospel that Paul talks about. The mystery of the gospel that Paul talks about in the New Testament is that Jesus made available for a people who should not have received the grace that He gave. He made it available to us. And if that doesn't blow your mind, that you did not deserve it, but yet He gave it anyway, then I don't know what would blow your mind. That you realize, how many of you are amazed by grace? Or how many of you just say, ah, I've sang the song. I'm, I'm... Never, ever get to the place in your life where you are not amazed by grace anymore. Let Him do it. Paul, when he speaks about the mystery of the gospel, is not talking about the Holy Spirit. He's talking about those being able to receive something that they should not have been able to receive. Amen? How many of you love it when the credit card bill comes in? And you're like, I did what? When? Lost that receipt. Oh, forgot about that one. Oh, now I've got to figure out how to reckon with that. Right? And we hate it when that comes in because it makes us realize just how indebted we are and just how much we have spent not even realizing it. And then the Bible says that one day we will stand before God in the way that we have spent our life. And there will be a reckoning where that list like my credit card bill of my life is going to stand going to sit on the judge's bench right before him and he's going to ask me if I have an account for all of that and the gospel says we have an account and that account is settled through Jesus Christ how many of you are glad for that amen, amen. Now, before we get into this, and you can turn to Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. We're going to be all up over the place today. And I apologize, Jill. I wasn't 100% sure if how the computer thing was going to work. So I only gave one passage of Scripture. I'll try to give you a heads up on the next ones. All right, thank you. Thank you all for, thank you for doing that. Appreciate you all doing that. All right, so as you're turning there. I want us just to take just a second and breathe. That's it. Go ahead. Just breathe. Just I'm no, I don't I don't want you to put on yoga pants or anything yet. Just, just breathe. Just in, out, enjoy the fundamentals of life. Just breathe. Now let me read to you as you breathe the very last psalm. The one that culminates everything. The one, how I many of you know anything about the book of Psalms? It's up, it's down, it's crazy, it's hard, it's wonderful, it's real, it's honest, 
It's true. It's full of questions. But at the end of it all is an answer. And in that answer, you're going to see why I had you breathe. Psalm 150. Praise the Lord. Praise God in His sanctuary. Praise Him in His mighty firmament. Praise Him for His mighty acts. Praise Him according to His excellent greatness. Praise Him with the sound of the trumpet. Praise Him with the lute and the harp. Praise Him with the timbrel and the dance. Praise Him with string instruments and flutes. Praise Him with loud cymbals. Praise Him with clashing cymbals. And let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise Thee. Lord. Now will you give him a little bit of praise? Come on, can you give him a praise? Come on, you've been breathing. Praise him. Yeah, Lord, you're good. In the excellent greatness of you, you are good. Amen? Amen. So we've been talking about the book. The power of the word. And that is something. I'm glad he's saying that today. Because that is something the enemy can't take. The enemy cannot take the power of the Word of God. He can try to distort it. He can try to change your perspective of it. But the enemy cannot do anything with the power of the Word of God because it's not his to do anything with. It is God's Word. And God will accomplish whatever it is that He set forth to accomplish, both in written and in spoken, in logos and in rhema. He will accomplish whatever it is He wants to accomplish by the power in and of itself found in its own Word. So, the enemy can't do anything with that word. The enemy can try to lie and try to twist. But I've learned this with the enemy. That if it's not, if it's a, if it's a phrase or a word that the enemy has spoken, that if it's not grounded in truth and in reality, and I mean absolute truth and ultimate reality, that if it is a lie, even if it's a twist of a truth only, it has an expiration date. And that one day it will come over. It will, it will be over. And that when that expiration date has come up, the truth will stand. The truth will always stand. I was counseling with a, a young man who was asking me, how do you handle it whenever somebody talks bad about you and spreads, li- spreads lies about you? And How do you handle all of that? And I said, you handle it by letting God handle it. You handle it by doing it God's way. You handle it by speaking praises and honoring God with everything that you do. You, you handle it by letting God take you under His wing. And you handle it by walking with God. Because whatever spoken against you, whatever lie it was, if it is really a lie, it'll expire. It'll go away. It may take a long time, but it will go away. And whenever it does, you want to be able to stand in truth. Amen? So the power of the Word. The book was found here. We, we learned that we are a people of His Word. We talked about the blood. The enemy can't do anything with the blood. Because the blood is still living. The heart is still beating. The blood is still flowing. So he can't take it in a past tense form and change it because it's still moving. It's still, it's still there for us. Making an intercession for us. It's still there covering us. It's still there making a line of defense for us. It's still there making a way for us. It's still there. And what was, is, and always will be. That's why Jesus says, I am. That's why He can call Himself the I am. So the enemy can't do anything with the blood. What He's given to you, the enemy can't do anything with that. That's why we can always plead the blood of Jesus Christ in everything that we do because we are children of His blood. Amen? The enemy can't do anything with the true church of God. We learned about that last week. The body. Now the enemy can creep in and he can cause division and he can do things in certain ways, but... No matter what the enemy does, I promise you this, the true church of God will always rise up to the top. Even, I know even right now it's a little crazy on, uh, 
on who's real, who's not, who's true, who's not, what's religion, what's, what denomination, what this, what that, what's going on. Some, some in the church are falling asleep. Some in the church are going crazy fundamentalist. Some in the church are going crazy liberal. Some in the church are looking up. Some are looking down. Some are looking out. Some are just closing their eyes. We got everybody doing all kinds of things. But I still know this, that Jesus Christ himself said, upon this rock I'll build my church. And the gates of hell has no chance against it. So the church is and always will be His. And the enemy can't do anything to that but eventually join it in the bowing of a knee. Because one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. You just got to jump start on Him. You just got a head start on Him. Welcome to the head of the class. You're praising and you're doing what he's going to end up doing. And then that's when we get to turn to him and say, I told you so. I told you so. And all those times you tried to take me out. And all those times you tried to get me to stop praising and I kept praising. Now is the time where I get to say, I told you so. I told you he's still God. I told you he's still in control. I told you this is all in his hands. I told you. How many of you like telling somebody, I told you so? Some of y'all are honest and some of y'all are lying. All up in this church house. We all like that just a little bit, right? We all like being able to look at someone. Even if we don't say it with our mouth, we look at it and go, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> Unless you're wrong, right? <laughs> we are the body. We are the body, we learned last week, of living stones that are being put together. Because Christ said, if you won't praise me, Jews, Israel, Pharisees, Sadducees, the Sanhedrin, the governing body of Israel, if you miss out on it, I have stones that will be raised up to do so. So you are that living church. You are the living church made of living stones built upon a living foundation, which brings us to breath. For being the living church and being the living stones that are built up and building walls up, we kind of have this mental picture of building a church and building the walls and making it out of living stones. We build those walls upon a foundation. We have the foundation, we have the walls, and before we, get it, before we put a cap on that, we got to make sure that everything is all structurally sound we're ready to go, that it can support the weight of that. Basically what we're saying is, is that we have become a capacity that God created first in the beginning in Genesis, a capacity. An ability to house, an ability to, to take on, an ability to hold something. He created a vessel. The vessel had a capacity. We've been in Genesis throughout this whole fundamental talking of, of the dynamics and the principles of the kingdom of God. So we need to join there real quickly to talk again, and then we're going to quickly move on through some other Old Testament um, prophets and, and other examples. But if you turn to Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, we're going to see that God made a, a capacity so that He could bring in the capability. Move that capability then to a charisma. Genesis chapter 2 verse 7, And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living nephish being. In the Hebrew it's a mental picture of you have the body which is like the temple or the tabernacle. Right? then inside that body you have a soul. The soul is like the holy of holies that, ha that is prepared to house the spirit that's blown into it. So he's made inside, he's made you a capacity, he made inside of you another capacity, and then he made that for the sole purpose of being able to fill that up. In the original language, what we're talking about is the Spirit of God, known in Hebrew as the Ruach Elohim, 
the Spirit of God moves on man by the power of the Ruach HaKodesh. There's a reason why I brought water. Right? Which is the Holy Spirit to activate the image of God that He created in man so that He could become a living, breathing, capable, empowered, vital person. That's right. So when we talk about the Spirit of God, we're talking about the vitality of God. The energy to God. The moving presence of God. The working of God. The very first time we see the word Spirit or the Holy Spirit, the name Spirit, if you want to say it that way, the very first time we hear Him be talked about is in Genesis chapter 1, that God, when He chose to form the world, He actually sent the Spirit down first to hover over the face of the waters so that the waters would correctly interpret the Word of God once the Word of God was spoken to it. And really, that's what we have become as children of God. We're all interpreters of the will of God. Okay? There's a whole world out there that does not know the ways of God. Amen? Have you seen TV lately? Have you seen the media lately? Have you seen the world lately? Right? They cannot interpret. They know how to interpret their desires. And they do so in always not a good way. See, we're not really good at the heart. The Bible says is full of deception. That we're not always really good at knowing exactly what it is we want and what we need. Right? What I want is a full slab of bacon. What I need is broccoli. Right? From a few chuckles, I see you're with me. <laughs> the Bible tells us that God chose to work and speak through the Holy Spirit that was already in the process of moving, already working, already doing an amazing thing, already getting things prepared and helping that water understand perspective that's greater and bigger than what it could comprehend. That water was getting ready to receive. In another way of saying that, Jesus gives us a clue that anyone who blasphemes or talks bad against or, or does not obey the Holy Spirit, He says, there's no forgiveness for that. Now we have misinterpreted that and used that in crazy, crazy ways. Here's what the original meaning to that is. Is that if you spend your entire life not recognizing that the Holy Spirit has spent your entire life knocking on the door of your heart to get you to give over your life to Jesus Christ, then you have died in an unrepentant state. You've died in a state where you never responded to what the Holy Spirit is doing. Never responded to what the what the work of what God did before him, before you were born. He said, I formed you, I put in you a conscience. And a lot of us, if we're not careful, we'll take that conscience and we'll self-justify it. And then we, when we do so, what we've basically told you, Lord, is that I know better than you. I'm better at this than you are. And so what that has done is blaspheme. It's spoken against the will of God, the ways of God, through the work of God found in His Holy Spirit. Alright? Holy Spirit moves. He is the activity of God. He's the vitality of God. He's the presence of God. He is the God that is, that is kind of intangible in some ways and becomes tangible in another. He's intangible in a lot of ways, but through His Spirit, He becomes tangible. How many of you ever felt the Spirit? Right? How many of you want to feel the Spirit? Because some of you are like already asleep. I sit down for five minutes and y'all fall asleep. Right. When you feel God, when people say that, and when people know, when, when you know that, what you're saying is, is the Spirit is moving. The Spirit is quickening. The Spirit is comforting. The Spirit is guiding. The Spirit is touching. 
His Spirit is moving. The Holy Spirit is found from Genesis to Revelation. The work of the Holy Spirit is found from Genesis to Revelation. Just like Christ, He's working with Christ. He's, he's a part of that that's working together to accomplish the will of God from Genesis to Revelation. In the Old Testament, He is known as the wind of God. The wind of God that blows in a move of God in a lot of ways. The fire of God. We find that it is the fire of God found in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. In the Old Testament, God consumes the sacrifice in some ways, in some places, on His own by a fire. That would be pretty cool. I'm just enough of a pyro to want to see that. Not only that, but I like barbecue. Hey, it's Memorial Day. I can talk about barbecue. Right? How many of you would like to see God barbecue an entire cow for you right there? It's got to be some good cue. That's got to be some good stuff. I mean, we, we're, we're pretty good. We've got some good recipes, but that's got to be good. When God cooks it, it's good. I know it is because he says everything he does, and then it's, it's good. Y'all are with me. Turn to your neighbor and say, I'm with him. We see the Holy Spirit as a dove. We see it in the Old Testament, specifically whenever um, Noah steps out of the ark, or at least out of the, opens up the window, he releases that dove. The dove goes and finds an olive branch, returns and says, hey, there's a possibility for peace, right? It's, we know that, it's, that the water's receding. We know that it's approaching. We know that it's almost time. We know that it's coming. So give me just another chance. And at the second releasing of that, he doesn't return because when the, when the dove is lighting, he's saying it's time for a new way of life. When the dove finds a place to rest, he says it's time for a new way of life. Let me say that one more time. When the dove finds a place to rest, it is God saying there's a new way of life about to go forward. And when Jesus is baptized, what happens? A dove, a spirit like the dove, comes and lights on him, lands on him, sits on him, as if to say it is announcing that there is a new way of life. There's a new dispensation of grace. There's a new way of doing this. There's a new, the kingdom is at hand. It's not done legalistically anymore. It's done gracefully now. And so when the dove lights, it's a new way of life. Everybody say amen. He's a teacher from John chapter 14, 15, and 16. We're not going to go there, but I'll give you a homework assignment. If you want to read about the Holy Spirit, John 14, 15, 16 is full of Holy Spirit teaching. And in that, he, we're found, we find out that He is our teacher. He is our comforter. He's the Spirit of truth. He's the, our guide. He is our conviction. And that's why Jesus says He's the one that comes along beside you. He comes along to be part of you. He comes along to give you the strength. He comes along to do that. He says, I give you another comforter. How many of you know another means another? It means, here we go, we have two now. Or maybe in our case, three, right? We have another way of doing it. That He has been given the role to do all of those things. To help us out. To give us what we need. To, in, to, to empower us and strengthen us and Give us wisdom. How many of you could use a little bit of wisdom? I've changed the way that I do, I've changed the way that I say some things. How many of you get approached often and they say, how are you doing? Oh, I'm all right, right? And then they say, can I do anything for you? And I say, yes, you can give me stacks of $100 bills and wisdom because I need both. Y'all look at me like you wouldn't say the same thing. There's not a person in here that wouldn't want more money or more wisdom, right? Don't look at me like that. He says, I want to be that for you. I want to give you a different perspective where you learn to be led by the Spirit, not by the flesh. Because if you walk by the Spirit, there's life. You walk by the flesh, there's death. Right? How many of you walked by the flesh before? How many of you walked by the Spirit before? There's a difference to that. There's a purpose to that. There's something greater to that. There's a treasure to that. There's something that's not always easy in the flesh, but you find out later, you're like, oh, now it makes sense, right? That there's something greater, there's a greater purpose to walk out even whenever you don't always understand it, right? It's like fasting. I know, I talked about barbecue, now I'm talking about fasting. 
But it's like fasting. In the, in the physical, in our own little mind, that doesn't make sense. That does not compute that I get stronger from fasting. Until you realize that the Spirit is the main authority over that strength, not our physical body. That's why people in the Old Testament and in Jesus and then later the disciples did it later. That's why they actually got spiritually stronger and then that drove the flesh whenever they did fast. Jesus said there's going to come a time where you're going to need to fast. He said right now when he was being asked about that, he talks to his disciples and he says right now is not the time because the bridegroom's with you. Now's the time for you to listen. Now's the time for you to enjoy this. But there's going to come a time when you pray and when you fast, you're going to need to do that. And the reason why is because there's going to become a time in your life where you're going to need to be led by the Spirit and not by the way you feel. Oh dear Jesus, if I'm led by the way I feel every day, Whoo, I would be in a mess. Right? How many of you wouldn't even get out of bed some days? If you did, you wouldn't leave the house. Right? We cannot go by how we feel. We have to go by what the Spirit's leading us to do. Romans chapter 8 says He is the Spirit of the resurrection and the life. That the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead also dwells in us to quicken our mortal bodies. Which means get you up and move you on. Right? You need to be quickened. You need to be punched. You need a little. Every once in a while. You need a nudge, you need a jerk, you need a pull, you need an attaboy, you need a correction sometimes, you need a let's go sometimes, because if you don't get that, if you don't do that, you will miss out on the kingdom of God. I can say this because he's not in here now. i never forget when Easton, he was younger, playing baseball, and um, he did pretty good that season, and the coach came to me and said, hey, what do you think about letting Easton play All-Stars. And I said, yeah, that's, that's fine. I mean, if you think he deserves it, that's fine. I'll talk to him about it. And, it, you know, at first you think, wow, that's a pretty cool little honor. So I go to Easton and I say, hey, Easton, your coach just called me and said he wants you to play All-Stars. Because he knew in his head he was going to have bigger competition. He knew in his head he was going to have to raise his game. He knew in his head that there was going to be a challenge before him. And every part of him said, uh-uh, I'm comfortable right here. And I said, Easton, I think you need to do that. Because I saw the fear in his eyes. So as a mean, cantankerous, becrudging old, old rusty, dusty, fusty, I made him do it. Can you believe that? Can you believe I was that mean of a dad hey this is God I could go on a soapbox right now I barely know how to handle my feelings how can we expect kids to base their entire rest of their life based on the way that they feel in a moment we need more than that right Long story short, I made Easton go. Easton cried the whole way to that first practice. Don't go all. Because as a dad, I'm like, suck it up. Because that's what dads are supposed to do, right? I did feel a little bit bad for him. But not so much because I knew where this was going. I knew what would happen. And I knew once he sucked it up, buttercup. I knew once he got out there and started and got in the middle of it, I knew he would actually enjoy it. I knew he would rise to the challenge. I knew that. I knew cream would rise to the top. I knew that. I could see that in him when he could not. So how many of you give God praise for those times that he's And shoved you out there and made you do something that was a little uncomfortable at first. Now to this day, he still wears that stinking old baseball hat. 
That's his favorite hat. I mean, it, it looks rough. It looked like it rode under a saddle on a cattle drive. But he still wears it proudly. He'd wear his jersey. He just can't fit it anymore. He wears it like a badge of honor. Like, look what I did. Look what I can do when I rise to the challenge. And that's why God has given you the Holy Spirit. To help that rise up. Help you rise up. That resurrection spirit. To rise up to the challenge. Ephesians says he is our seal of salvation. That he has sealed us in a, in, in a state of salvation. To know that the enemy cannot take you out of the hands of God. Because the enemy can't take away the Holy Spirit. Right? The enemy has no power over that. Ephesians says he is our seal of salvation. And then he leads us to the Holy Spirit being our confirmation. Scripture calls it a witness to testify that you are a child of God. The book of Romans says that. That he is your confirmation. And all of those times and ways we see the Holy Spirit moving in the Word of God, probably one of the most important ones is the breath of God. The breath of God that when God made Adam and he came and he got really close and he got really personal and he breathed into him the breath of life that he gave Adam mouth-to-mouth resuscitation and he taught Adam how to breathe and move on and go on and take that breath and do something with that. He taught him how to be a living, not just a stone, but a living stone. When, when he taught him that, when he got him going in that, he gave Adam that breath of life to move him, to give him vitality. And Jesus did the same thing in John chapter 20. Around verse 20, 21 and 22, Jesus says, okay, I'm about to go away, but before I do, I want to... Don't worry, I brush my teeth. He said... And he said he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. He breathed on them as, they, as he breathed out, they did what? They breathed in. But not to hold it forever. That there's a working to that. And the more you work it, the more it works for you. Right? Example. Everybody breathe in. I didn't say breathe out. Now breathe in again. Now breathe in again. Now breathe in again. I just want to say he's going to pass out. <laughs> You're not made to just house it only. You're made to work it. That's the capability. He creates a capacity to fill it with a capability. He creates a capacity. He creates a vessel so that he can fill it. But the filling it is not just the point. That's part of the point. The first part is to fill it. The second part is to pour out of it. If Jesus had not been poured out for us, where would we be? Paul says toward the end of his ministry, when he's writing to Timothy, he said, I'm about over. My life's about done. I've poured myself out like a drink offering. God's created in me this vessel. He's filled this vessel up. How many of you are glad you are filled with the Holy Spirit? You ought to say amen just a little bit louder than that. Because if you understood what power was inside of you, if you understood that it was the same power that rolled a stone away, if you understood that it was the same power that stood the body of Jesus up to continue the ministry of the kingdom of God, if you understood that that spirit will never die and in it you will live forever in a glorified state, if you understood the power that that spirit held, you ought to say amen really, really good. That's the power that lives inside of you. It's the capability. Jesus said in Acts 1.8, and you shall receive... Everybody say power. Now that word power doesn't mean you can do whatever you want to do, but what that word power means is dunamis, which means it doesn't seem like much at first, but when you light it on fire, it'll blow some stuff up. It'll be able to do more than what it seems like it is capable of doing. The word dynamo is where we get that. It's where we get the word dynamo. Dunamis, dynamo. It's Superman in the Clark Kent state. He doesn't look like much, does he? In fact, in some ways, he looks like a nerd. 
and this way that they made him look. Because the author said, I want him to look like he's flesh. But at a time when it's needed, I want him to expose what's really on the inside of him. Same way with you. Same way with you. He knows that you're going to have to go through some stuff. He knows that you're going to have to deal with some stuff. He knows, and He's given you the ability and the power to do that. He's put it on you. He's filled you so that you can pour out. He's given you grace so that you have grace to give out. It's the double portion anointing. Lois and I were talking about that earlier this morning. It's the double portion anointing. It's the ability to both receive and give. Elijah and Elisha, when Elijah says, I'm about to go up, when the wind is about to take me up, when the Holy Spirit is about to usher away for me to enter into heaven, and the chariots of fire, they come down. What can I do for you, Elisha? Elisha, who has spent six years walking with Elijah. Elisha, who burned his oxen and his farm equipment to sell out and do everything he could to walk the walk God had for him. Elisha. Elisha tells him, do something that's impossible. Elisha says, I want a double portion of your anointing. I want it not, that's more than biggie size. Okay? That's more than pulling up to the drive-thru and saying, biggie size it. He's saying, I want a double portion. I want to not just be able to receive what you have, but I want to be able to do what you can do. It blows my mind that Jesus looks at His disciples and says, greater works you will do than I did. How many of you feel like you're doing greater works than Jesus? I'm in that same boat. I feel like, whoa, there's a... (laughs) Why would He say? Because Jesus lied, right? No. That Jesus... Looked at them, he says, I've been spending three and a half years working on your vessel, and I've been cleaning it out. I've been making it, giving it capacity. It's because I'm going to fill it up with capability. And you will be able to do greater works. Great works you're going to be able to do. Greater works can also mean going to build on top of what has been done. Like another level, another floor. Like this 12-story building is greater than the 10-story building. That there's more to it. There's, there's, I'm building on top of it. And I'm giving you not just the capacity to do it, but the capability to do it. I am making sure, like Elijah, who looks at Elisha and says, Are you sure? That's a hard... Elijah himself said, That's a hard thing for you to ask. But he didn't say it was impossible. He just said it was hard. Hard because straight is the gate, narrow is the way. Few, few there be that find it. Because this can't be done. You're not going to catch my mantle. That, that mantle was a, was a robe. It was a covering that all prophets wore back in that day. And it was a symbol that signified that he marched to the beat of a different drum. It was a symbol that signified that he doesn't necessarily live life the way that you live life so that when life hits you in a hard way you can go to him and get something more than what life can give does that make sense it was a symbol it was a sign it was to show everybody not only that it was a covering that when he went to pray by himself whether he was in a room full or he was in a cave he would cover himself cover his head with that mantle as if to say I recognize where my covering comes from comes from. I recognize that no matter where I am and what I'm doing, I am covered by the Holy Spirit. I'm covered. And the guy in the Old Testament tells us multiple times in multiple ways that God and his spirit or his hand in some ways moved on people. Moved on prophets, moved on people like Moses. In fact, Genesis 41-38, Pharaoh says, there is nobody like Moses that has the Spirit of God. David, Psalm 51 and 11. David says, hey, I know I've sinned and I've been in mourning for a long time now. And I'm asking you as I repent, don't take your Spirit from me. He said, don't cast me away from your presence and don't take your Spirit from me. David had that Spirit. One of my favorite ones is found in Exodus 31, 1 through 3. Y'all can turn there. 
Miss Jill, I'll give you just a second. Exodus 31, 1 through 3. After this, I won't hold you too much longer. I don't know if some of you got to get to the lake or the buffet. I won't hold you, <laughs> won't hold you too much longer. But I want you to get this. Exodus 31, verses 1 through 3. How many of you have ever heard of Bezalel? You've ever heard of him? You've heard of Moses, you've heard of David, you've heard of Noah, you've heard of Adam, you've heard of Samuel, you've heard of those people like that. How many of you have ever heard of Bezalel? One of my favorite characters in the Old Testament. Exodus 31, starting at verse 1. We're just going to read through verse 3. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, See, I have called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. I have filled him with the Spirit of God, in wisdom, and in understanding, in knowledge, and in all manner of workmanship. You can read on later, but just let me give you the Cliff Notes version. This is the dude that was in charge of, of, of creating, building, and making all of the furniture in the Old Testament tabernacle. He's the only one that got to put his hand on the Ark of the Covenant. The only one that got to touch the place where the presence of God comes and resides. Anyone else that touched it, they're gone. Because it was such a holy place. But the only one that was allowed to touch it was the one who made it because he was filled with the Spirit to be a, a person that can create a place of praise. That's called charisma. The Holy Spirit gives us the capacity. The Holy Spirit gives us the capability. The Holy Spirit also gives us the charisma. If you've ever read anything about the Old Testament tabernacle, it wasn't shoddy work. It was overlaid and filled with jewels and gold. It was perfect in all of its craftsmanship. It was put together in a wise manner and in a wise way. It was the setting of a standard that Solomon took and grew on that and became one of the ancient wonders of the world found in Solomon's temple. It was amazing craftsmanship. In other words, God had some bling. All right? God had some bling and He threw it out there. And to do that, He chose a person to fill Him with the Spirit and give Him the wisdom and the ability to create something very charismatic. And I, 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 I use that word, and I know that word has got a really weird, bad connotation to it. In, in today's world. But the word charisma, it simply means this. It means that a, dif a divinely conferred power or talent that can make one be amazed and devoted. That's what charisma means. Jesus didn't have to come and do a single miracle. Did he? He didn't have to. He could have accomplished what he wanted to on the cross without a single miracle other than the miracle of the blood and salvation, which is the greatest miracle of all. But that when that woman who had had an issue of blood for 12 years reached out and touched him, he didn't have to let virtue go out of him. When Lazarus was dead and finally getting a nap, Finally, for the first time in a long time, getting a break and a rest. He didn't have to say, Lazarus, come back, did he? But he did. He did to show the charisma that God has. That God wants you to know that he is that involved in your life. And from that involvement should breed a devotion 
And the more you're devoted, the more you're amazed. How many of you are more amazed by God today than you were the day you were saved? I'm going to wrap up with this. Jesus, in John chapter 2, gives us his very first miracle. Turning water into wine. And if you know anything about that story, Jesus says, I want you to take the purification vessels. The vessels made for water for cleansing purposes. And he says, I want you to use them. In other words, I'm going to use a vessel that has been cleaned for my holy purpose. The blood of Jesus has done that in your life. The blood of Jesus has caused you to be a holy, clean vessel. Because you have to be. Because of what you are holding, what's inside of you, what you're filled with is a holy spirit. Right? So he had to come in and clean your vessel. He had to come in and make you a new wineskin because there's going to be some activity in the new wine that's going to need to move just a little bit. It's going to need to expand a little bit. It's going to, need to, it's going to bust you out of your comfort zone and your box a little bit. He needs to make you a holy vessel. The blood of Jesus has made you a holy vessel. You are a vessel chosen by Him to do a holy and a great and a wonderful work. You're not just a random person or some random chimpanzee evolving into who you are. You're not the, the, the product of a slime ball. Turn, well, some of us have gone back to that. Some people in the world have gone back to that, but... You are a holy vessel put together by God and then now cleaned up for a purpose. And that purpose is to house something. Jesus said, fill these pots up with water. Right? The capacity. Filling up with the capability. I'm going to make it possible. Now, to the outside person, to the untrained spiritual eye, you look at that and you say, how is that possible? How is filling something up with water going to help out? But then that's when Jesus says, I've got the charisma to do that. And if you ever read that and read it closely, the Bible says, as they dipped in, or as they dipped to fill in their pitchers, then it was turned into wine. And not just any wine, the good stuff. He saved the best for last. Because it was the last working of the kingdom of God from the book of Acts on that he said, I've saved the best, the most charismatic work. I've saved it for that. I use this passage also in um, premarital counseling because the tendency a lot of times is whenever two have been dating and putting on their best, right? Oh, you've put on your best for however many weeks, months, years it has been. You've put that on. You've done everything you could to open a door for her to make it look like chivalry is not dead, Right? Y'all got quiet all of a sudden. You amen me better. I'll wrap up quicker. There you go. And then you get married. What's the tendency? I gave you my best while we dated. Now I'm giving you the rest while we're married. And the point is, is don't ever stop that. Don't ever stop giving your best. Keep giving your best. In fact, give the best of your best. Keep going. Give some charisma. Make it taste good. And the Bible says, taste and see that the Lord is good. He wants to give you the capability. And He wants to give you the charisma. You have the capacity. Everybody in here, you have it. 
from the overflowing comes the charisma. That's what happened in the book of Acts chapter 2. Spirit moved. Spirit poured into what was already filled, which created an overflow, which became a fountain of living water. And as that flowed, that new wine flowed out of them. The Bible says they were singing praise. They were giving God glory and praise in every tongue and every language, which made everybody go, huh? Like, something is grabbing my attention. And from that, stirred it up in such a way that it made 2,000 become devoted. Right? All because of the way God works. And all because of this is how the same way He wants to work in your life today. Right now. There is no, there is no cessation of the move of God. He's still moving. He's still blessing. He's still, he's still healing. He's still working. He's still filling. He's still overflowing. He's still teaching. He's still guiding. He's still prophesying. He's still, he's still working miracles today. He's still changing lives. He's still cleaning vessels. He's still at that work. And, and I promise you, the cream will rise to the top in the middle of all of this bad stuff. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we love you and we thank you. We ask, Lord God, that we would yield. We would yield to the working of your Holy Spirit. That we would feel you breathe in so that we may breathe out into a world that needs your Holy Spirit now more than ever. I pray that you use us as holy vessels, as ministers in a royal priesthood to work unto the Lord and to serve unto the world. Father, I pray. Pray, God, that you make us aware of the capacity. Give us an awareness of the capability. And I pray that you begin moving in a charismatic way in our life. I pray, Lord, that you would draw out of me a devotion, a power, an awareness to this world that you are still God and you are still amazing. And it's in the name of Christ Jesus we pray. If you love him, say amen. Amen. God bless you. Thank you so much for listening to the Rock Creek Family Church Podcast. I'm Pastor Jonathan again, and we are so thankful and grateful for you to be here and join us. We ask that you would make sure that you subscribe so that you can catch other podcasts as they come out. Also, if you would rate it and comment, let us know how God has blessed you through this podcast. We love you. We thank you. Have a blessed day.